Welcome to the No Guilt Mom podcast. I am your host, Joanne Crone, joined here by my co-host, Bree Tucker. Why, hello, hello, everybody. How are you? I'm trying to do it slowly and articulate better because the AI really doesn't like my intro. Oh, <laughs> did you trying, transcript? Yeah, the transcripts, I, the stuff it comes up with is wild. <laughs> oh my gosh, should we talk about how the captions on Instagram, the AI there does not like it? <laughs> oh my gosh, yeah. So this is, so let's, I will, let, let's dive into that, shall we? It's the end of May when you're hearing this, but if you follow No Guilt Mom Instagram, and if you're not, you're missing out on a good party. Okay. So first of all, if you have kids listening, if you could just put your headphones in really, really quickly or pause it right here and listen to this section after. Unless you're the teaching them body the parts, then, you know, it might Unless work. you're teaching them body parts. <laughs> um, it, it might make for an uncomfortable situation. We'll just say that. <laughs> and all the kids are like, oh my gosh, now I need to listen to this episode after. I know, right? <laughs> so, um, we had just finished our No Get Mom VIP retreat, which was fabulous. Yes. Eight women came to Phoenix, flew in, got professional headshots, got a lot of coaching, left with such big plans. And we documented the whole thing on my Instagram stories at No Get Mom on Instagram over the weekend. Christina did it actually on our team. It was phenomenal. Yay, Christina. And if you want, if you want to go look at them, they're actually a highlight. So you can find this particular thing on Instagram. Because you wanted to make um, sure it was there forever. I get it. I get it. Forever. Because <laughs> at the end of the day, we were all sitting on the bed in our hotel room, me and Christina and Brie. And we were just going like, hey, like it was fantastic and wonderful. Like, thank you to Christina for taking over the Instagram stories. And then I was like, thank you for Brie for being the best Brie. And you could see Brie make this face in the background. I'm like, and I keep talking. <laughs> and you're What's like, a what? Brie? What's up, Brie? For being and cheesy? <laughs> no. Well, that's how I thought it came across. So we, so I ended yeah. that story. And then I came back on. I'm like, I really think I have to explain myself what I said <laughs> being the breast Brie. And Brie's like, no, you don't. And I'm like, yeah, I do. Because Brie does so much. And she's so wonderful. I can't just say she did one thing spectacularly. And Brie said, oh, yeah. Well, I, I'm like the jelly to your peanut butter. But, and, but Brie end was- of story. Well, I was going to say, but Brie was tired and Brie does not articulate well when she's tired. There was, there was, so, so on all the Instagram stories, I put on the automatic caption, which I love there. as somebody with a disability background. I love that. And there's, so there's captions. So like, sometimes I review the captions, but on this caption, I saw something that I'm like, wait, well, what's on there? And AI had transcribed Brie saying, I'm the jelly to your penis. Yes. Yes. <laughs> Uh, and you know what's even worse? My husband listened to it later and he's like, uh, that AI wasn't that off. It did not sound no. like you said peanut butter. And I was like, I was tired. Leave me alone. I was just like, oh my gosh. Thank goodness I checked captions before posting oh, that. Yeah, I appreciate that too. I do. I do. <laughs> because I changed it. So you don't see that on it. But I do have a screenshot if anyone is interested. <laughs> Are you offering to send that out to people? <laughs> oh my gosh. Because I sent it to your husband. And yeah. I'm like, look at this. And he's like, ah. Leave a review for the No Guilt Mom podcast. And Joanne. And then email us. Joanne will, and Joanne will, send you, that will send you the screenshot. 
Um, oh my it god, was so, so funny. Yeah, and I was trying to be cool and like coming up with something amazing. And I don't even know why I said it that way because like the saying isn't <laughs> jelly and peanut butter; it's peanut butter and jelly. So like, why I even did it that way, I don't know. It was meant to be. My brain was like, I'm going to sneak this in, and it's going to be hilarious. We have these like quote, I have this quote list from our weekend and that definitely made it on the quote list. Oh my gosh. <laughs> I am the jelly to your penis. Yes. <laughs> well, we talk a little bit about AI in this interview. Um, yeah. <laughs> there's, there's my segue. There you go. Um, if you're finding that you're a little bit, you feel like your phone is controlling you, you're going to love this. Catherine Price is the author of The Power of Fun, which we've talked about before on the podcast, and How to Break Up with Your Phone, which we've talked about in our Balanced VIP group. And we're doing a whole challenge around it actually this month of May. And she's the founder of Screen Life Balance. She helps people scroll less, live more, and have fun. And she's completely delightful. I feel like we have a connection and you're going to be seeing a lot more of Catherine Price. So on with the show. You want mom life to be easier. That's our goal too. Our mission is to raise more self-sufficient and independent kids, and we're going to have fun doing it. We're going to help you delegate and step back. Each episode, we'll tackle strategies for positive discipline, making our kids more responsible and making our lives better in the process. Welcome to the No Guilt Mom Podcast. Catherine, we are super excited to have you with us today. And thank you for joining us. You've said it's a morning, like we were talking about it beforehand. It is a morning. <laughs> yeah. Thank you for having me. <laughs> yeah. I was like, I was identifying with you saying it's a morning too, because you're like, my hair is wet. I just came out of the shower. My hair's up in a headband because my toilet's backed up last night and I was afraid to take a shower. Amazing. To, because everything would flow back through the drain. So there's nothing <laughs> well, better morning. Well, there's nothing better than getting out of the shower and seeing your toilet overflowing in the bathroom because you took a shower. Like I, I could have oh my God. that. <laughs> yeah. No, it's really bad. We're just getting through. We're getting through. I'm such a big fan of yours. I told you right before we got on, I love your books, both How to Break Up With Your Phone and The Power of Fun. You personally have encouraged me to have more fun in my life and to seek out more of that joy, as well as our Balanced VIP members, because we did a book club reading of The Power of Fun, and they're all seeking out their fun too. Amazing. Yeah. And so cool. it's... It's so cool. And I'm just fascinated with you. So you started out as a science medical journalist. Yeah. What did I do? I actually started out as like a tutor and an ice skating teacher because I was trying to write oh a, a book of fiction, which was so bad, first of all. And second, was definitely just a thinly veiled account of my own life. It's embarrassing. I, I hope I never... You wrote a book of fiction? That's so cool. It. I don't think I ever finished it, but I was try- I was tutoring and teaching ice skating to support myself while I tried to write this book. And then at some point I was like, this is terrible. And, uh, <laughs> and I went to journalism school. So yes, but I have a background as kind of like a medical and health I guess I'm like wellness reporter, journalist, but think of myself more as a writer. And then I, I wrote a whole book about the history of vitamins and supplements and then had my daughter and ended up writing How to Break Up With Your Phone. So it's kind of been an interesting trajectory to uh, just follow my curiosity and see where that leads in terms of writing projects. Yeah. And in, in your book, How, 
how to break up with your phone, you mentioned that when you noticed that your own attention was starting to wane. Yes. Is that what led you into writing about breaking up with your phone and these digital device effects they have on us? Yeah, I think it was a variety of things. This was like 2016. So yes, I started to notice my attention span was really not doing very well. I also had done a lot of stuff with mindfulness and mindfulness-based stress reduction, both in terms of writing about it and then also taking you know the eight-week course in mindfulness-based stress reduction. So I was really doing a lot of kind of like noticing myself in the moment and what I was doing and how I was feeling. But I do distinctly remember writing in my journal one day and trying to continue a thought. And if you read that entry, it looks like I've got some kind of attention problem because I start talking about like buying sports bras in the middle of it. Like I just like leave writing and I go on Amazon and spend 30 minutes researching and buying sports bras. And then I came <laughs> back and kept writing. So definitely that was happening. And then the other thing is that, you know, I, I'd had my daughter in 2015 and I just started to notice these times when I'd be up with her and feeding her or whatever. And she'd be looking at me and I'd be looking down at my phone. And I think that's where the mm-hmm. mindfulness kicked in. Where it was like, oh, I saw the scene as if it, if I were an outsider looking at myself mm-hmm. and basically saw this little baby gazing up at her mother and her mother looking down at her phone. And that was horrifying and really a wake-up call for me because I'm like, I don't want to be living that way. And I certainly don't want that the imp- to be the impression my daughter has mm-hmm. of a relationship, like let alone with her own mother. So kind of a confluence of all those things made me think, wait a second, like what's going on here? This device is doing something to me and I'm not the only person whom this is having an effect on. But at that point in 2016, there weren't too many people talking about it, you know, in the way they are now. Yeah. And I couldn't find a solution. And so that's when I was like, I want to come up with a solution. <laughs> I don't want to just get freaked out. There was like books that made me freak out, but right? not books that gave me a solution. I've been looking for simple ways to form healthy habits and get the nutrients my body needs even on busy mornings. And oh my gosh, has it been busy lately. And that's why I decided to give AG1 a try. Not only does AG1 deliver my daily dose of vitamins, minerals, pre and probiotics, and more, but it's a powerful, healthy habit that's also powerfully simple. It's just one scoop mixed in water once a day every day. And it makes me feel energized. Even like I still add the coffee on there because I like it a lot. AG1 tastes really good too. And I enjoy my glass every single morning. AG1 is a supplement I trust to provide the support my body needs daily. And that's why I'm excited to welcome them as a new partner. If you want to take ownership of your health, it starts with AG1. Try AG1 and get a free one-year supply of vitamin D3K2 and five free AG1 travel packs with your first purchase exclusively at drinkag1.com forward slash NGM. That's drinkag1.com forward slash NGM. Check it out. Hey there, I'm Debbie Reber, the founder of Tilt Parenting and the author of the book, Differently Wired. The mission of Tilt is to change the way neurodivergence, whether that's having a learning disability, having ADHD, being gifted, autistic, or some combination of all of the above, is perceived and experienced so differently wired kids and the parents like us raising them can truly thrive. On the Tilt Parenting Podcast, I get to talk with authors, therapists, educators, and parenting experts who are committed to this mission. I ask the questions my listeners are most curious about when it comes to supporting our kids. And in turn, my guests share strategies for challenges, out-of-the-box ideas for navigating school, best practices for therapies, 
tips for advocating, and so many thoughtful insights on what it really takes to help our kids grow up feeling seen and respected so they can create awesome lives for themselves. I know that raising a differently wired kid can feel overwhelming and isolating, but I promise you, you are not alone and it can feel so much better. If you're on this parenting journey, come listen to Tilt Parenting. Together, we can shift this paradigm and show up for our exceptional kids with hope, possibility, and joy. There are so many books out there that make you freak out. And there's nothing that really digs into the, first of all, like, why are we having this addiction to our screens? And second, it can't be that all devices are bad. As somebody who, I love tech. My dad was a computer science teacher. I love technology. I love what it's able to do. It can't all be bad. And nothing else was is addressing it the way I think you did in How to Break Up With Your Phone. Huh, well, that's nice to hear. Yeah, I was trying to have like a, non-judgmental approach both to ourselves and to the, you know, I'm not anti-technology by any means. Like we're doing this interview over technology. I'm very grateful that I can see you and hear you and we're doing this. But it's more, you know, how does our use of technology align or not align with how we actually want to live our lives? And then how can we use technology in ways that support the ways we want to live and not get sucked into all the attention grabbing things on our phones and other screens that are, you know, they're really engineered in very sophisticated ways to steal our attention from us. Like, how do we create those boundaries so we keep the good parts, but then minimize the bad parts? Yeah, it is funny how like these devices tend to manipulate our attention. And in the book, you mentioned like all the things that they design into like Instagram with the notification timing. There is a lot of very sophisticated programming and engineering and psychological manipulation that goes into the most problematic apps. And my book, How to Break With Your Phone, came out in 2018. That was before TikTok. So Instagram is sophisticated, but TikTok is even crazier in terms of its ability to predict what you are going to want to see and suck you in. Yeah. That That's by far the most effective and powerful algorithm all of all of them. But I think it's important just for all of us to recognize that if you have trouble kind of setting limits for yourself on how much time you're spending on social media apps in particular, please don't blame yourself because these apps are being designed with some of the top minds in the world working on keeping your attention on those apps. So I think that we do need to actively work to create boundaries for ourselves. So it does require work on our parts, but it shouldn't come with self-judgment. There's no point in beating yourself up. Just know that you're against a formidable opponent. Yeah. (laughs) I just want to say like, why do we keep doing that to ourselves as as a society? We have all these great minds working on algorithms to keep your attention on an app. Why not? I don't know, solving some of the problems of the world. <laughs> Hunger. Climate problem. I know, right? We have a little bit of pill, but we still can't cure cancer. I just, well, I get, yeah. I get frustrated from, I have type 1 diabetes, and so I've got this insulin pump, and it's more sophisticated than it was when I was diagnosed in 2001, but it's not smart. You know, what? it doesn't learn from my experiences. And I'm like, if <laughs> my insulin pump had 1,000th of the power of, that of prediction of TikTok. that TikTok has, <laughs> it would actually make my life and the lives of the millions of people with type 1 diabetes better. Yeah. But that's not where the investment... Yes, we could go on I about know, that. It's I know, I incredibly... know. Sorry. That, that's my little tidbit. I'm just like, oh. It's funny though, because it's like, you, you come... Now I'm on a squirrel brie. You come to think about it and you're like, well, why is that? It's so controllable. So like, 
with the social media apps and like with TikTok and with Instagram, you could really play with people's little dopamine spikes and you could get them like addicted to things. Whereas with insulin, it's not growing. I mean, it's horrible to say it this way. It's not a growing industry. It's not something that you can put little tweaks on and like continue. get more like once you solve it, users. You solve it. Like, Is like, that what you mean? Like once you solve yeah. it, you solve it and it's done. <laughs> Well, well, no, yeah. <laughs> you could make a lot of money. I'm just saying, anyone out there is listening, you could make a lot of money because there are so many people with diabetes and that number is growing. I mean, that's a whole separate yeah. conversation because <laughs> it's so hard. Well, this is interesting though, right? It's so hard to get approval for a medical device because insulin can literally kill me if I take too much. Right. Like I could kill myself right now, right? So you don't want to just mm-hmm. mess around with an algorithm that's going to auto-dose insulin. True. But yeah. I think it is interesting to think that we do have these algorithms and and programs that are being created by companies where there are no checks on what they're doing. You know, the social media Mm -hmm. apps were able to be launched with absolutely no research into what this might be doing to our mental health or even to the development of adolescent brains. And that's something that's, there's an increasing amount of attention being paid to right now. And Mm -hmm. I mean, I don't know how far you want to go down like the AI, the artificial intelligence path, but that is truly insane where we have artificial intelligence intelligence, these algorithms being developed and these products being launched, where the the creators themselves think there's a chance that they might literally wipe out humanity and nobody, there's no checks or balances. There's no kind of like phase one, phase two, phase three mm-hmm. in the way that there are with drug trials or even like device approvals that we have for technology, yeah. whether it's social media or these kind of brand new technologies like generative AI. So I think that's really interesting for us as a society to think about is why are there not safeguards in place to make sure this is not going to go off the rails. Yeah. And I think they're they're kind of going to that way with the talk of actually banning TikTok in the US, like seeing the impact that the social media is having on people. And I mean, obviously that's an extreme example of how to conquer this issue. Some more study and research needs to go into it, but it is interesting how yeah. there's nothing regulating it yet. I'm, I yeah. think it's coming. Hopefully. I think it is too. And, and I do want to say, because I'm assuming you guys have a lot of parents listening to the show, that one thing I've been doing, so I have an eight-year-old daughter and I do not want her on social media. I think the evidence is becoming, well, first of all, intuitively, like, come on. Like if you're looking at idealized pictures of other people's bodies and lives for hours a day, do we really think that's not going to have some kind of effect on you? But now there's actually solid evidence coming together, showing a causative effect. And one thing I am working on in my own daughter's school is to get parents together to say, you know what, when the time comes to get our kids' phones, why don't we collectively agree to not go straight to smartphones, right? Like, why would we get our children devices that allow them access to everything on the internet, including all the pornography on the internet, all of the violent content on the internet, all the predators on the internet, everything on the internet, without any kind of guidance? Why don't we get our kids instead an alternative to a smartphone? Because there's actually a growing number of alternatives that are actually cheaper than, say, an iPhone that have more guardrails in place that allow you to essentially mm-hmm. give your kid almost like a learner's permit mm-hmm. for the internet and yeah. slowly help them get on board and maybe not let them have social media. Like technically the age of consent for those apps is already supposed to be 13. And mm-hmm. there's a, bi- believe it or not, a bipartisan movement in Congress now to try to get that age raised to 16. Mm-hmm. So I say that to say, I think that every parent I've talked to is terrified about getting their kid their first smartphone and allowing them to be on social media. And I think there's a real opportunity for parents to band together and to actually give our kids an alternative and have a more intentional approach, especially now that there is really solid evidence behind the harm that's being caused by some of these apps and platforms. So I'm kind of, I don't know, I'm feeling overwhelmed by that quest personally, but also really inspired by the positive response I've gotten from other parents. And it's something I 
hope to be working on creating more resources for. And there's also some great people working in this area, like Jonathan Haidt, this author who's coming out with a book next fall about kids and social media. And he's got an mm-hmm. excellent substack called Beyond, no, After Babel, After Babel. I recommend to anyone listening to this who's like concerned about social media and kids, he's really great about summarizing the evidence in a really digestible way. I think that the problem that many parents run into is because <laughs> at least I've seen this in my own kid's school, the kids come to school and every single one of their friends has a phone. Exactly. and. When every single one of their friends has a phone and you're talking about social dynamics and friendships, mm-hmm. if they don't have one, they can't participate in the group, which makes it really, really difficult for kids to be accepted by their peers. I love your idea about getting the parents on board with a set of guidelines so that kids don't have to run into that scenario exactly. where they're the it, only ones without it. Exactly. It's the network effect, right? right? And, and Jonathan Haidt makes this point in his in his newsletter, but he says, you know, if you were to decide, for example, to just stop eating sugar and everybody else kept eating sugar, it wouldn't really affect you. It doesn't really matter to you personally that everyone else still eats still eat sugar, right? Mm-hmm. But if everybody else is on social media and then you're the one person who doesn't and they're doing all their socialization mm-hmm. through social media, of course it's going to have an effect. And so that's why I'm really excited about the possibility of kind of helping people to intervene early, like for parents to say early on before there's saturation of smartphones to say, oh, wait a second, we all care about the same things. Like there are alternatives. We could actually do an experiment and see what happens if we, obviously kids are going to make mistakes and do dumb things and their communications and all that. But Mm -hmm. like, if it's not so public, if the humiliation is not shared on Instagram, you know, like I'm still kind of traumatized by middle school. Same, same. same. There was no pictures evidence. No pictures. It's all living in my brain. And it's still living there rent free. (laughs) Still like, but I think like all of this has gotten 10 times worse since COVID. The pandemic happened. We all got sucked into our homes and, and then also got sucked into the social media and our phones because that was our connection. So the breakup, Mm -hmm. I, I know for me, and I don't know about for the two of you, like it's been a lot harder. I find myself doing so much more time on my phone than I did before the pandemic. And yeah, and I feel guilty trying to break because I know I shouldn't be, but I'm having a very hard time breaking it. Lynn, this time of year, parenting can be such a fluster clucks. You've come to the right place. I'm Lynn Lyons, and I've been treating anxious families for over 30 years. I'm Lynn's sister-in-law and co-host Robin Hudson. Join us for Fluster Clucks, a podcast for parents who worry. Wait, that's everybody. Yeah, these last few years have felt like one long anxiety attack for so many. Why do you think parents are always surprised that a podcast about anxiety relates to them, even if no one in their house has an anxiety disorder? Well, worry is human. Everyone does it. And anxiety shows up when we face uncertainty. All the parenting tips you've taught me have been essential. I love to break it down into skills we need to manage worry in our families. We've covered so many topics, depression, burnout, meltdowns, perfectionism. Don't forget scary mothers-in-law. Right, but of course that's not my mother-in-law. Because that's my mother. And a listener. As a psychotherapist, I like to teach parents and kids how to respond to everyday moments in healthy ways. Managing anxiety really can be taught. It really can. And I'll even tell you what to say. We talk about serious stuff, but without being too serious. Anxiety wants everything serious. Anxiety doesn't stand a chance when we're laughing, even about the tough stuff. 
If you're a parent, I invite you to join us at the Mindful Mama podcast, where it's all about becoming a less irritable, more joyful parent. With sometimes hilarious and always thought-provoking experts and friends, at Mindful Mama, we know that you cannot give what you do not have. And when you have calm and peace within, then you can give it to your children. I'm Hunter Clark Fields, and I can't wait to see you there. Listen in to the Mindful Mama podcast. Well, let's let's go over the shoulds, because I think, first of all, (laughs) totally natural. I mean, first of all, we wouldn't have wanted, I would not have wanted to have gone through, especially the early phases of the pandemic, without the ability to connect with people, right? So I think it's more like, if you recognize you're reaching a point where the balance feels off, and you just feel that something doesn't feel right inside about the way you're interacting mm-hmm. with technology or the amount of time you're spending on, you know, scro- people use the term mindlessly scrolling. Whenever I ask people like, what are you trying to do? They're like, I want to spend less time mindlessly scrolling. Yeah. Right. Mm-hmm. So maybe come at that with a more of an attitude of curiosity rather than self-judgment. It's like, okay, well, you're recognizing that this doesn't feel good and that you don't want to. It's not that you shouldn't, it's that you don't want to. I think that's a really important difference in phrasing because then it's like, oh, okay, I've decided I I don't want to do that. That's great. Mm-hmm. That's a wonderful starting point because then you actually be like, okay, what can I do? What, what do I want to mm-hmm. do? You know, and then you have kind of like a more positive path and being a bit kinder to yourself that like you're probably going to get sucked into the scrolling because it's your habit. And also it's designed to make you want to keep scrolling yeah. on some mm-hmm. very deep subconscious level. But you know now in your heart of hearts, you don't want to be doing it. So it's a lot easier to stop doing something that you recognize you actually don't like than it is to yeah. come at it from a place of self-restriction. Yeah. It's the difference between going on a diet, right, where you're trying to restrict your to say no to, I don't know, this stereotypical like chocolate cake versus mm-hmm. recognizing, huh, when I eat a pint of ice cream in one sitting, I actually don't feel good. And so I don't yeah. want to do that. That's different. So yeah, I think we need to be kinder to ourselves, but do recognize like it's <laughs> the pandemic kind of induced this sort of like binge, right, of screen time. And we're starting to feel the effects that it doesn't feel nourishing and we don't feel quite right. And rather than beat ourselves up over honestly, what was a coping strategy yeah. for the past couple of years, let's take a deep breath and figure out what we want our path forward to be. Yeah. I, I love that. And I love the noticing, like, you don't want this feeling going back to like it being a habit. It's so interesting how habitual just picking up your phone is. We're doing this digital detox right now in balance. And the other day, our focus was on the mindfulness, like paying attention to where you're feeling it in your body, paying attention to those three W's that you have, like, especially when are you picking it up? And I was doing that the other day. And I noticed that every time I pull up to a stoplight and like my kids aren't in the car, I only do this when my kids aren't in the car. Every time I pull up to a stoplight, I have this urge to pick up my phone and to check something. Right. And it's it's like once I notice that I have that urge, I'm like, what is going on here? This is so bizarre. You're not yeah, alone though. Yeah, you it, know that. Yeah. <laughs> when you said that, we're no, all no. like, yeah. Oh uh, yeah. Isn't it also crazy that it's like it's not when my kids are in the car, right? Because you wouldn't want to put them at risk by doing that. But when we're alone, you don't want to show them that. Oh, it's fine. (sighs) Yeah, you don't want to show them that. Yeah, I think that's really, really an important point. Is that this is so deep our habits when it comes to picking up our phones? It's so deep, and it's because our biochemistry has been hacked, honestly. (laughs) And just to go into a bit more detail about what's happening, you know, people talk a lot about dopamine in a casual sense, but. Dopamine really is, though, is like a a salience indicator. It's how our brain records things that are worth repeating. Mm -hmm. 
And so it's behind all of our habits because if you do something and it triggers a release of dopamine, it's essentially your brain's way of saying, oh, right, I should do that again. You can understand why that would be essential for the survival of our species because dopamine is released if, say, you eat delicious food or, you know, sex, like eating and reproduction, big dopamine triggers. (laughs) But dopamine does not care. It's like the honey badger. If anyone remembers like honey badger, don't give yes. like that honey badger. Yeah. <laughs> right? Like it does not care whether or not this habit good or is good or bad. Yeah. And so you can easily create a product that will become habit forming, if not downright addictive by just making sure that using your product triggers the release of dopamine. So mm. when we look at our phones, there are dopamine triggers deliberately baked into every aspect of its design. And especially the most problematic apps are like little, essentially slot machines. Worth noting, slot machines are considered to be the most addictive machines ever to have been invented. In fact, the gambling disorder is like the first behavioral addiction recognized by the uh, Psychiatric Association. Really? Mm. So yes, and sl- our phones are deliberately designed to mimic slot machines to the point that you can consider it to be a slot machine that you keep in your pocket. So if you think about like a slot machine, what, what do slot machines do? Well, they've got lots of bright colors because bright colors are dopamine triggers. <gasps> think yeah. about the Instagram logo, right? That is ver- everything Very on the phone. Those colors are not random. It's not like, you know, a raspberry is bright red and bright red is a dopamine trigger, but that's because of natural evolution. That's not the same for the Instagram logo. They focus tested that. They actually engineered those colors to appeal to you. It used to be sepia now that I think about it. And (laughs) now it was like brown. And you're right. It turned into this bright thing that just sticks out on your phone. Exactly. Or you think about the big thing with, with the casino. Why do you go to the casino? Because you might win something. So the mm-hmm. possibility of rewards. So obviously in a casino or slot machine, it's money you're after. But on your phone, it's like new information or it's some kind of social affirmation like a like or a comment, right? Mm-hmm. Or a follow. And then you think about what else is there in the casino? If you think about a slot machine, it would be very easy for you to just press the button and just to say whether or not you won because that's essentially what it's doing, mm-hmm. right? But it spins and you wait. And the reason that's a feature is because that pause, the anticipation and the uncertainty are absolutely enormous dopamine triggers. Mm -hmm. And so if you think about what happens when you open your phone and you check, you don't know what's going to be there. But it's engineered also that there always will be some kind of reward, right? Like you don't have something in Instagram. So you go to your email or you go to TikTok or you go to whatever. There's always something. And the thing about dopamine is that every time you encounter that dopamine trigger and dopamine is released, it reinforces the idea that checking your phone was worth doing. And then if you think about the flip side, like what happens when you don't check your phone? Well, at this point, a lot of us experience anxiety in the form of FOMO, right? Fear of missing out, whether it's missing out like an actual experience that you see people posting pictures about, or just missing out on something important, like a call from your kid's school or your spouse Mm -hmm. or a work email, something like that. Mm -hmm. And the anxiety of like worrying that you're missing out on something that feels uncomfortable I think actually likely produces stress hormones to be produced in your body like cortisol. And that feels really bad. So what do you do to get rid of it? Well, you you try to soothe your anxiety by checking your phone again. And then what happens when you check your phone? You encounter a dopamine trigger. And then what happens then? Well, you just reinforce the idea that checking your phone was worth Why doing do again, like and again and again and again and again. like a hamster on a wheel yes. listening to this. There's or like, no, like a rat. It's, it's like a rat true. with a yeah. There's no way out All of this. Yeah. There's no way out of this. Well, but there. Thankfully, there, there is, is, but I mean, that's, is why, out of it. that's when I say, like, don't blame yourself. That kind of, um, when you're talking about being at the stoplight and feeling this urge to check. Well, first of all, the fact that you notice the urge is a huge success. That means you're mm-hmm. already on the path to a healthier relationship because you noticed it. The problem is that a lot of this is so self, so subconscious, we don't notice it. And that's why you end up 
in the situation we all have been in where you look down in your hands and you're like, I have been on my phone for 30 minutes, for 45 minutes. I don't even know how it got here. What happened to the past hour of my life? That is because of this biochemical hacking that is going on. It's Sorry, so funny. I just got me ranting, but no, no, no. I lo- I love all of this. It's so funny because I'm working on a presentation right now, and yesterday, maybe like five minutes into looking at my phone, I'm like, "What am I doing?" And I like throw my phone across the room because it hacks your brain yes, so quickly, it does. so easily. There are times when, like, I'm sure anyone can say this. They go on the computer to just check one thing. Oh, oh yeah. And then, yeah. I'll, I'll be like, I don't An even hour know later. what I went on to check anymore. I don't even think I've, I, I don't even think I got there. Some something distracted me online. Yeah, I mean, like I literally wrote the book, and it still <laughs> happens to me. So just to give a sense of like, this is very, it's very powerful. So don't blame yourself. But w- my point being with you noticing it is that is the first yeah. step because once you notice it, you can say, oh, wait a second. Like why, and I mean, maybe you guys have spoken about this on the podcast before, but I came up with this exercise called what for, why now, what else? Mm -hmm. And the idea is to help people become more intentional about what they're doing on their phones. So I would suggest, first of all, if you haven't yet gotten into the habit of noticing when you pick up your phone, one easy way to make that easier is to just put like a rubber band or a hair tie around your phone for a couple of days. The idea there is that when you reach for your phone on autopilot, and you're, there's like a hair tie, like blocking the screen for a second, millisecond, your brain's going to be like, why the heck is there a hair tie on my phone? Oh. <laughs> and then you'd be like, like, oh, because that's the cue to pay attention. And then as soon as you do that, then you can go to this WWW exercise. And the first W is what for? Like, what for? Like, what did you pick up the phone to do? Did you have a practical purpose, like sending an email or making a phone mm-hmm. call? Or was it like just kind of random? Ask yourself that Boredom. question. procrastination. Well, that's the next one. It's like, why now, right? Like, why now? now? So was it actually like a time sensitive reason? Like you had to buy your friend a birthday present or more likely, was there an emotional reason that you did Mm -hmm. it right now? And that's where it's like, I was bored. I was wanting a distraction. I, you know, was at the traffic light. (laughs) I I feel lonely and I wanted connection. So I check social media. That always makes me feel better. Or, you know, anxiety, (laughs) whatever it may be. Once you kind of identify what your brain is after, you can move on to the third step, which is what else? What else could you do in this moment? And that could be uh, doing something different to achieve what your brain's after. Like if you're lonely, maybe you use the phone to call a friend instead of checking social media. Or maybe if you need a distraction, you get up from your desk and like take a walk around the block instead of doing what you're going to do on your phone. You might also decide you don't want to do anything, like say in the stoplight example, not just because yeah. it's safer, but also because <laughs> it's nice to have give your brain a chance to just relax. Our brains are so overloaded right now. Yeah. And then lastly, you might decide, I want to be on the phone right now. Whether or not there was a practical purpose, you might actually want to be looking at social media in that moment because you just enjoy it for two or three minutes, right? The point isn't to arbitrarily re- restrict yourself from using technology. It's just to make sure that when you engage with your phone and and these devices, it's the result of an intentional conscious choice. Mm -hmm. So that's Mm -hmm. the ultimate goal. And, you know, I've heard from people, um, there's some apps that can help you with this. I I think it's actually wonderful to use apps that can help you, but there's one called OneSec that people seem to really like. And what it does literally is you try to open a pre-selected app, you know, something you identify as something that's a problem for you that you want to change. And instead of opening it immediately, it pops up with a one second delay. And I personally haven't used it yet, but I think it probably says something like, are you sure you want to open this right now? And so many people have told me just the one second pause is enough for them to be like, you know what? I don't. So again, that speaks to how deep this is in our 
circuitry at this mm. point that we're checking on autopilot. It does not take much to get this awareness. So I just want to give people like hope that cultivating this initial awareness is within your power. And just by listening to our conversation so far, even without trying, I guarantee you're going to notice some moment in the next couple of days when you're about to go into a phone spiral. And you yeah. should hold on to that as a the beginning of a new relationship. Yeah. I've noticed it just knowing the behind the scenes stuff of what they're doing for sure. And that one yeah. sec app, I know that you mentioned in your book how like the Apple store didn't allow those apps to be in the store at first. Like they were, <laughs> oh, they were banned. I forgot that detail from my own book. That's not- they were, no, you wrote it in 2017. Like I know how this yeah, goes. Yeah. Like you don't remember. <laughs> right, right. That's No, it's me. crazy. It's so They didn't allow it, but they then they did. But at first, it was a struggle to get that app in because it restricted people's use of the other apps. Interesting. Yeah, it's totally interesting. Well, with the stoplight thing, something that I've been doing that you mentioned in your book is that mindfulness is just paying attention to like where it is in my body and then like leaning into it. Because before I was trying to resist the urge so bad, I was like, no, I shouldn't do that. No, that's a bad idea. But actually like acknowledging it and leaning into it the urge disappears. Maybe it takes like 10 to 15 seconds now, which is kind of a long time when you're just sitting there waiting for an urge to pass, but it's working. But also amazing. It's a quarter or a fifth or a sixth of a minute, right? It's like, Mm -hmm. I think what you're getting at is that, you know, and I got this from Judson Brewer, who's a neuropsychiatrist and he does lots of research with mindfulness, but the the idea, he, he was using mindfulness as a way to help people quit smoking, is that all urges pass. No, no feeling is permanent. Everything passes, right? Mm-hmm. Nothing stays the same. So if you're able to kind of view your cravings with a little bit more impartiality, almost like you're watching waves crash on a beach, like eventually it's going mm-hmm. to subside. So if you don't fight against it, but you also don't indulge it and you just kind of, again, get curious about it and kind of like, huh, I really feel the urge to check my phone right now. You know, where do I feel that in my body? Like, what does my brain feel like right now? Well, that's kind of interesting and just kind of be with it. I think it's actually amazing to hear you say it only takes 10 to 15 seconds. <laughs> Feels like such a long time. It's always been a little bit ahead of the curve. You're really so- <laughs> yeah, yeah. <fast laughs> so what are you coming up? What's coming up for you that you're really excited about? Well, so as you guys know, you know, How to Break Up With Your Phone led me to write The Power of Fun, which is all about why fun is actually an essential part of life, not frivolous at all. And that was because, you know, once I started spending less time on my phone, I ended up, whoa, with more free time. There's actually more free time than we realize, guys, because we're spending an average of like four hours a day on our phones, like before the pandemic, just the phone, not the laptop, not your TV. So I ended up, I don't know, actually having time to pursue hobbies, like learn how to play the guitar. And it led to this feeling of joy and effervescence that just I was so curious about. So anyway, long story short, I ended up writing this book about that feeling, which I determined was fun. I can talk more about that if you want. But right now, so I think that fun is a combination of three states, which is playfulness, connection, and flow, which I'm happy to go into more. But right now, I'm really, really interested in going deeper into connection in particular and playfulness. Maybe it's all of them. Maybe I'm just kind of investigating each of those independently. But just I think that, yeah, yeah, I just personally like, you know, it's very isolating. The pandemic has been very, very isolating. And then personally, I'm a freelancer. I don't have a professional community. And I'm just very interested in trying to figure out ways that all of us can feel more connected to each other and to ourselves, like to our bodies, to our environments, to our neighborhoods, all sorts of connection. We totally need the connection right now. 
And it has been so wonderful talking to you, Catherine. I, we could talk for hours. Like <laughs> we might even have to have you. I think we probably have to have you back gonna, to even talk I about more about the fun and the connection and playfulness. Yeah, I'm going to work on yeah, you. you. <laughs> Why don't we do a? Uh, we should do a fun intervention month. Yes. Just, oh, I love that. I would love that. A fun intervention. Oh my yes. gosh. Seriously, okay. let's do it. Yes, we have All right, people, we need to keep <laughs> Everybody listening. Finish, yeah. There's more episodes yeah, exactly. coming. Keep listening. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, it's been wonderful talking to you, and thank you so much. Oh, it's been wonderful talking to you guys, too. Thank you. She was so awesome. I know. So awesome. Uh, Catherine, like, okay, I, I I know if we if we lived in the same time zone, we'd be hangout friends. She's pretty because, awesome. I'm so, I'm so glad she's because part of I loved squad. her work so very much that like, it would have been sad to me if she wasn't awesome but she if was she wasn't as amazing than expectations yes. yes she was more amazing than expectations so and there's so much more i think coming up with Catherine, like and no goat mom so i know like, people didn't we had a nice she had a t- she had a hard out but man we were cramming a lot in there we have upcoming projects planned i'm excited upcoming projects yeah but one of the things we were talking about is this uh, her other book the power of fun we were talking about after we stopped recording the power of fun and how we had our no goat mom vip retreat uh, this so past fun. weekend when we're recording beginning of May and how everybody like left with something fun they're going to do. I mean, one is pursuing Bollywood dance. Another's art history. Like she's taken art history class at college, which she's always wanted to do. Another is pursuing like theater opportunities to Ooh, see where yes. she can maybe act or get on stage. And like all of these things that we thought we had to put on the back burner because we're too busy and have kids. Now, like these women are making it a priority and their faces, they just left with so much energy, so much energy. And that's what, to quote Catherine's book title, the power of fun. You right. have like all of this joy that we're so missing. Well, because from we, our lives. we're so used to doing everything for everyone and we feel like that's our duty. And it's and it is an important duty to take care of your family and to be a productive member of your family. But if you don't have those things that are interesting to you, then you're kind of like I feel at least for me if it felt like I was a shell. You've been through that reawakening for me where like in my case unfortunately it had to be a divorce that brought it out for me. But now I have these passions that I get so excited about and I actually mm-hmm. feel them missing when I don't do them. Like, I feel mm-hmm. sad. I feel like there is something missing and then when I get to go partake in it, literally like I haven't been on the water very much last year hardly at all. And uh, we decided just on a whim to go out to the lake two weekends ago and we're out there. And I'm, it was so much work to get out there, trying to schedule everything, get the passes to go to the lake, getting all the equipment together, food, water, da, 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 da. But once we're out there, I'm like, this is that piece that has been missing mm-hmm. that I couldn't put my finger on for like months. So, yeah. Yeah. I feel the same way about races. I love a race and I'm not fast. So it's not like I'm yeah, competitive at You don't have races. to be fantastic it's just at it. Being in the event and being around people and like running and eating after running. <laughs> like <laughs> I swear that's what all runners think about. Food. When do I get to eat? Hey, That'd be great. It's the same way after a day on the lake. I'm like food yeah. and sleep. Sleep feels so much better okay. after it's after you've like yeah. really exerted it. Well, we highly recommend you go get both of Catherine's books, How Mm -hmm. to Break Up with Your Phone and The Power of Fun, and look for more with her and No Guilt Mom. And until next time, remember, the best mom is a happy mom. Take care of you. 
and we'll talk to you later. Thanks for stopping by. Hi there, I'm Andrea Owen, self-help author with 19 translations of my books, global keynote speaker, and life coach. My podcast, Make Some Noise, has been serving up self-help in a simple-to-digest way for the last decade. The topics brought in each episode are practical and easy to implement around topics such as working through fears that keep you stuck, different modalities of therapy, managing your negative self-talk, and more. We bring you guest experts, solo episodes, and I even coach listeners on the air around relatable struggles. I also do my best to weave my sense of humor into some heavy topics because let's face it, life can be pretty hard and it's so much better when we can have some fun while walking through our challenges. Whether you're seasoned in personal development or just starting out, Make Some Noise podcast will help you become the best version of yourself, the person you're proud of when you look in the mirror and show up in your life. Simply search Make Some Noise with Andrea Owen wherever you listen to your podcasts.